Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. You know, what, here you'll go to a pub and if there's someone playing music quietly, I mean, the number of times I've heard the entire bar shush people to listen to the music. Never in my life has that ever happened in New York. Yeah. Not because we don't appreciate music. It just plays a different role. The, yeah. If you're playing in a bar in New York, your goal is to be louder than the people in the bar. That's just how it works. Yeah. You have to do that. Um, and it's really incredible here that the role of the people at the bar is to not be louder than the musician playing. Yeah. Hello and welcome to A Life in Dublin. I'm your host, Mark, and with your permission, we'd love this podcast to be your digital companion for the next little bit at least. Claire Hawkins is a brilliant musician from New York City who is currently based out of Dublin. We chat about her life growing up in New York and why she decided to move to Ireland. She also tells me a bit about her career in music, her tour of Ireland and lots more. In the description of this episode, you'll find a link to Claire's socials and to her very popular travel YouTube channel where you'll also hear some of her music. Thank you so much for listening, guys. I really don't want to take your attention for granted. And considering all of the other places you could be spending your attention right now, the fact that you're here with us is something I am incredibly grateful for. If you'd like to help out the show, you could share it with a friend or leave a rating or review. Those small acts can make an incredibly big difference to me and I'd really appreciate your support. But now here's my conversation with Claire. Yeah, I, I really want to get new microphones. Yeah. <laughs> these are cute though, I like them. They do the job. Yeah. Uh, and so we do these live recordings as well in the Black Sheep. Uh, with, right, in that was, on Cable Street. They look so cool. It's you great. Did you have one this week, right? Yes, yeah. we had one on Monday. Um, and I now know, thankfully, I. So I haven't been drinking in September, mm-hmm. um, just to take a break from like to give. Great, you, yeah. So I was away in Spain and like we swimming it, yeah, <laughs> pretty much. And I just like I oh, I know that Christmas is gonna come up and then Christmas is a real intense drinking period. Do you do twelve pubs? <laughs> I yeah, I'm up some way, shape, or form. Um, <laughs> but it's just a real like there's always something happening socially. Yeah meet your mate for a couple of pints then the next day it's like oh meet the guy that used to code college with for a couple of pints yeah and uh 
it just catches up. Yes. I'm, I'm now 34 years old. I can't like walk it off like I used to. <laughs> I just like sit there like blank eyed to the next day going, yeah. what have I done with my life? Yeah. <laughs> so I decided to take a break from it. Anyway, so I normally would have not many, but like two or three pints yeah. on like the night of uh, doing the live shows. Mm-hmm. And I've always blamed the next day of like feeling exhausted on those two or three pints because yeah. it's the... Um, in that place they do like the IPA beers and stuff like that so they're a bit more kind of um I don't know hoppy and all that kind of stuff yeah I've always blamed it it's not a hangover but just the exhaustion on yeah on that and I didn't drink and I was apps I was even more tired than ever yesterday you didn't have that false bit of energy probably yeah it is just nervous energy yeah you know that I get built up and once the show starts it's fine but it's that moment before when people are coming in and you're like oh people are late do I start now or should we wait or or just wait you know some people don't have seats what am I going to do um all that sort of stuff yeah, but yeah. I know that yeah. I still have that like is anybody gonna come like every time I play a show yeah I imagine yeah. I, I think it's even when you know people have bought tickets it's like you're but still thinking maybe they bought the ticket and they're not gonna come you don't yeah, know <laughs> yeah how many reminders do I should I sell them yeah, yeah should I knock on their doors right and then I'm like am I being annoying does everyone hate me it's a great spiral <laughs> to go down <laughs> you're a, um, apologies for my attempt but a New Yorker yeah <laughs> that was terrible no I can't do it either so. <laughs> um, so when did you come here and, and how did that happen well first time ever was at six months old but first First time that I consciously remember was um, the day before my 21st birthday. So I very much, I have lots of Irish family over here. My grandmother's from Dublin. So I do have dual citizenship, which okay. is, feels like Makes winning sense. the lottery in yeah. a lot of ways. Um, but yeah, that's a recent change. So I grew up not really visiting aside from as a baby mm. and uh, came over here for about a month when I was 21 and fell in love with it and just kind of was like, okay, how do I move here <laughs> how wow. do I uproot my life uh, and then after college I, I did and I I had fallen in love with a few different cities for different reasons like Berlin is another place that I've always really loved or I shouldn't say always since going there the first time in college um, so yeah I knew I wanted to come back over here and I had this idea for a hostel tour which was a really ridiculous really fun thing that I did for a while um, so I wanted a home base over in Europe because what's a hostel tour it was really just a tour across Europe where I only performed in hostels. Oh, wow. Okay. So it was, it was my way of saying, I want to travel. I want to tour, but I want to travel as well. Yeah. And not just like go to a new city every night, which of course is now what I'm doing this week with my new tour. But yeah. back then it was, uh, how do I kind of prolong this idea? Um, and so hostels came to me as an idea of like, well, if I can stay for free at the venue that I'm playing. Uh, and it kind of just spiraled that way. And so instead of playing every single night, I would be in Dublin, I was working, and then every weekend or every other weekend, I'd go, you know, catch a Ryanair flight to some mm. city with a hostel yeah, and cool. kind of do it that way. So a lot of fun. it's kind of a roundabout way that I ended up in Ireland, but I knew kind of that like this is where I wanted my home base to be yeah. and then kind of like go out from there. Well, I guess you had that ancestral ancestry kind of um, connection to the place. Yeah. I always think that makes a difference to a certain extent. Yeah. Even I just out so. of curiosity, maybe you're just like, hmm, what's this place like? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's interesting because I grew up 
you know, knowing I had cousins over here, but I didn't know them super, super well. I more knew like my dad's cousins because, you know, generationally they're first cousins. Mm. Um, and then I, in a, again, a roundabout way, got really into Irish folk music in high school by way of Broadway, by seeing Once on Broadway. Wow. So not there even through the movie. It's, it's funny how like you find these things, you know, in a... Uh-huh whatever way they come to you. Yeah. So being in New York City, I loved musical theater. I was really fortunate to get to go. Uh, I think I went on like a field trip or something. And I just remember seeing this and thinking, oh my God, it's singer-songwriters and it's Broadway. This is incredible. <laughs> and that kind of set me down the path of, you know, finding Glenn Hansard's music and then finding the Dubliners and kind of everyone in between. And Yeah. yeah the so, different influences of, of each and every one of them. Yeah. To me, so just from, we, we've just met and, you know, I, I know a little bit about you from the content that you put out and, and your music, but if I was to uh, categorize you, I guess you're like a musician and also a YouTuber. Yeah. Right. Uh, which is very cool. And <laughs> very 2023. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so can we go back a little bit? to before you were either of those yeah. and, and how either of them came about. Yeah, it's funny because I don't, there's definitely a time before I was traveling. I don't really feel like there was a time before I made music, which has to be true to some extent. Like I didn't come out of the womb gigging, but mm. um, definitely was like a little kid on the playground with a songwriting notebook and just, yeah. I don't know. I definitely had a lot of different interests, but songwriting was the one that, stuck and stayed with me through different phases of life um and travel didn't really come about until college because uh, mm. i got to study abroad and kind of you know fell and fell in love with travel that way and mm. it was it i remember it kind of stood out to me as this might be the only other interest of mine that feels like music that's sticking and it's not just like a phase like it's not just a hobby that I'm going to be into for three months and then move on to the next thing, which I also love, you know, those things that you have a little burst of connection with and then you move on to the next. But for whatever reason, travel, I think it felt very similar to music in a weird way, mm-hmm. that it felt like a way to connect with people that you might not necessarily have a lot in common with. Okay. And so I think that's also where the hostel tour idea came from, because it was... I had stayed in hostels and made friends incredibly quickly because if you're alone in a city and they're alone in a city, mm. you have that one thing in common. You don't need much more in common Yeah. Uh, to, you know, go out to a pub or go to a museum together or whatever it is. And music is the same way, weirdly, where you can be at a concert by yourself, which I love doing, like going to concerts by myself Perfect. and yeah. chatting to the person next to me and, you know, just the fact that you're there at the concert together can sometimes be enough to just open line of conversation yeah absolutely and, and so it should be it's a shared experience right yeah. it's a shared experience and and if i'm not going to say if the if if the musicians are doing a good job but like within certain gigs or certain concerts they make an effort to bring people together right yeah it's like whether you're singing a song together or i don't know you're commenting even on the music that it's it's a shared experience and it's, it's a really yeah. nice thing to do what was your you said that you had like a songwriting notebook as a yeah. kid um so was this just like kind of writing down ideas or or lyrics and things like that but how did that what was the gateway drug into really making that yeah making music you know i actually just asked my mom this the other day because i i'm very lucky i grew up with a very supportive family they were kind of like 
you know, if you like it, do it. Mm-hmm. As long as it's, you know, safe and healthy and whatever else mm-hmm. parents are supposed to say. Um, so fortunately, I didn't know until I was like well into my teenage years that music is not something that everyone's parents support, yeah. which is a lovely thing to be unaware of when you're you know, <laughs> yeah. coming into it. Um, but I, anyway, I asked my mom recently, you know, when when did you know that I was really going to pursue music and it wasn't just like a little kid kind of wants to make music? And her first answer was, well, when you studied it in college, and I was like, OK, fair. And then she said... Or it was when the way that I bribed you to give up your pacifier was by getting you a toy guitar at, you know, age two or whatever. I probably gave up the pacifier a little later than I should admit. Um, (laughs) But, you know, whatever it was, I had completely forgotten about that because I was a baby. Um, But, you know, it's kind of funny the way that now that sticks out to her. I'm sure at the time it was kind of like... It's bribery with a kid. I didn't start playing guitar at two or anything. It was like a toy that I had. Um, but yeah, I think there was something kind of always there. Like, I don't remember ever deciding I wanted to do music. It was just kind yeah. of like all the other things that little kids say, you know, I want to be a ballerina and I want to be an actress and whatever else. All those other things fell away and music was still there. So can you remember back to when the first time, like, and I mean, without excuse the pun, but like music really struck a chord with you. Because mm. I'm thinking back in my own life, and I remember the first song that I remember I wanted to dance to. Oh wow! Uh, when I say dance, right? Like I it wasn't. It was moving. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. As like a three-year-old, four-year-old kid yeah. with slippers on in the house. Oh wow! And it was that song. I just came on on the radio, and I was like, in the middle of the night. Yeah. You know that song. Yeah, yeah. For whatever reason, I, was like, I absolutely loved it. Wow. And then. There, I, I, my brother had a Walkman mm-hmm. and I robbed it on him one day and I went on my bike and just cycled around the garden in circles listening to just any, whatever was in it. Yeah. I think it was actually Boyzone, I'm afraid mm-hmm. to admit. But you know what, whatever. I cycled around my garden listening to Boyzone and I absolutely awesome. loved it. Yeah. Um, but it didn't really... I was just listening to music because I, I maybe I don't know why really, but it wasn't properly striking a chord. Yeah. I don't think, you know, like in an emotional, yeah. let's say life chord. Yeah, yeah. Until I I became, uh, I guess, an early teenager, maybe 12, 13 years old. Mm-hmm. And I listened to, someone gave me for the first time a Metallica CD. No way. And... I remember listening to it and you have that feeling then of like the the hairs on your yeah. the back of your neck and all like you just got goosebumps all over your body. Yeah. So that was when for whatever reason that music like just hit a chord with, or struck a chord with me and it was really beautiful and tense moment and then the whole relationship of listening to different bands and artists and everything mm-hmm. came from that. Um what was the experience like for you? That's so cool to have those memories, like those specific moments. Um, I feel like, yeah, I feel like there was a sort of timeline for me as well, where music kind of, music plays different roles, which is really cool. Like I love music that just makes you want to move. And I love music that makes you cry and everything in between. Um, I, I really specifically remember as a kid sitting in the back of a car wherever we were driving and religiously reading the lyric booklets of whatever CD we had in the car. Oh. So I do remember thinking it was really cool. And of course, I specifically remember this because we had a Green Day CD and I was asking my parents a lot of words that I was not supposed to know at whatever age <laughs> I was. And they were like, um, uh, we'll talk about that later, whatever word I was asking them. But no, I, I remember just thinking this is so cool and that's one of the things I don't too much lament like 
you know, the age of CDs or the age of vinyl not being the present age. But that is one thing that I wish there was something about having the words tangible, you know, in your hands that was so magical as a little kid whether it was Green Day or whoever it was. Um, So there was that. And then um, when I was a bit older, so I definitely, I always listened to what was on the radio, what was, you know, child appropriate and then also not child appropriate when I was a kid. Um, And so I do remember sort of a turn from going to a lot of concerts that were like really fun, really, you know, pop with sets and dancing and this this kind of like magical world and loved that as, you know, a preteen, a young teenager. And then I went to my first folk concert and it was the first time I had seen a concert that was just people on stage playing music, like no backdrop, mm. no crazy lights, no dancers. And that to me was so eye-opening. I was about 15. And I just remember thinking, this is not lacking anything that, you know, I wasn't watching this folk concert and thinking, well, there should really be, you know, like a screen behind them or there should really be dancers or whatever other elements that can also make a concert great. But it just felt so powerful that all that I was experiencing was just the music. Mm. So that kind of stands out as a bit of a turning point. Very cool. First question, um, was that CD in the car of Green Day belonging to your parents? Yeah, my parents were definitely very like into sharing music, but in a way they're very (laughs) cool. But what was funny is that like my dad, for instance, was really big into the Rolling Stones. Like he, he knew a ton of music. He was really into rock. But he didn't really push it on us. He would find songs that he thought that we would like. And I went through this phase, like maybe in college or so, where I was really annoyed that I wasn't, I couldn't like grow up being like, oh, I'm so cool. My first concert was like the Rolling Stones or something. My first concert was the Cheetah Girls, if you're familiar, (laughs) from Disney Channel. Um, But it was because my parents were really like encouraging of us to listen to what we wanted to yeah which is also very nice because not everything we were listening to at you know eight or whatever was Mm. awesome um that's no shade to the cheetah girls whatsoever (laughs) obviously but no so i kind of had to rediscover what my parents were into on my own which was kind of interesting because i think a lot of people get their music taste from their parents yeah um and i sort of did like i love what my parents love but I feel like I had to go look for it yeah. out of the curiosity of, well, what is my mom listening to? What is my dad listening to? Yeah. Which is kind of, yeah, roundabout. But you also seem like if I'm comparing myself and yourself, I was, um, let's say, consuming music or, or and things most of the time. But you seemed a little bit different in the sense that you were creating, even from a very young age, you mm-hmm. said you were walking around with a little songbook. Yeah. And then... Just from listening to you, it sounds also like you were quite analytical of the concerts that you were going to and what was happening. And there was no backdrop on this one. And it's just the it's the raw instruments. And it, I never observed things that way. Does that make sense? I <laughs> yeah, was just yeah. there. I was very much just consuming it. Yeah. I wasn't analyzing how it was created. I was like mm-hmm. thinking about how I felt, not thinking about them and how they're creating it. Yeah. Um. So you seem to be a little bit of a born creator, even, <laughs> even with YouTube, like because that yeah. is... There's a difference from traveling and then going and, and kind of talking about that and essentially reporting it. Yeah. It, it's a totally different thing. You know, it's funny because I, as you're saying this about kind of watching these concerts analytically, I was thinking about the way that I feel about travel, which is that I've just always been really curious in the behind the scenes, not necessarily just with music, 
But do you, know, do you ever have that feeling when you're watching a movie and then you remember that you're watching actors? Yeah. Like, it's yeah, a weird... Yeah. That doesn't happen to me in every movie. And I guess I guess you don't really want that to happen when people are watching yeah. your movie. But I don't know. I, I always... I remember I'd go to concerts and be like, but what are they doing before the show? What are they doing mm. when they get off stage? What does backstage look like? And it wasn't at least consciously from the sense of like, I want to do that too. I think it probably was kind of subconsciously that, but I just had the sort of curiosity of, well, what do they do? Like, what is sound check? What does that mean? What does that look like, you know, as a kid? Um, and I feel that way about travel in a weird way where I'll visit a new place, especially if I feel like it's very different from where I grew up. And I'm just always so curious, like, what are children's lives like here? What is it like to go to school in this country? You know, mm. things that I won't ever really have the answer to, which I think is part of the magic. Mm. Like you can do research, you can ask around, but you're never gonna know the experience if it's not yours. Mm. And there's something kind of cool about that. Well, kind of sharing that curiosity a little bit, what was going to school in New York? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, um, you know, I didn't know it was weird until I went to college and met people that weren't from New York. Okay. Um, I had... I had a really lovely childhood. Like I really, I really liked growing up in New York City. I think I was spoiled in a lot of ways growing up in New York City. I always say like, it's such a privilege to know that every time your favorite band goes on tour, they're gonna play at least one show in your city. Hundred <laughs> percent. Yeah. Is, it's crazy now that I've lived in other places in the world and no one comes on tour. Yeah. yeah. So for the music side of things, but yeah, as a child growing up in New York, I grew up in a, I grew up in Manhattan, but in a part that's very family oriented it's a lot of it's kind of like growing up in a college town in a way Mm. because there's schools there um and there is a bit of an influx of students during the school year and then people kind of leave during the summer not really because it's still new york city so you never it never feels empty yeah but you know i'll pass my preschool teachers on the street and they know who i am and i try to remember who they are but i was two when they taught me so (laughs) i don't remember exactly but yeah there's a lot of like I'll pass the parents of kids I went to, you know, elementary, primary school with, um, which is just something that I think is not really the reputation that New York City has. But for me, and I, I don't know from people that grew up in other neighborhoods if they had similar experiences, but for me, it was very community oriented. And when I do go back and play shows in New York City, like over the summer, I had a single release show at the Bitter End, and it was so cool. My brother brought like a bunch of friends from elementary school, friends from high school and a friend from college. And then some of their parents came. And so it was my brother's friend's parents who I hadn't seen since I was like 14. Um, So I don't know. I think New York City might be a place where you do have to look a bit for the community because there's just a bit more to weed through Mm. maybe. But it, it was definitely there for me as a kid, which I'm really grateful for. You must have such a different perspective on, on things having grown up in, in such like incredibly busy place um, yeah so much life so so many like as you said there's so many things happening all the time like I just I, I can't imagine having grown up there I just can't even put yeah. myself into that like my very uh, my first experience of of New York was uh, was not the greatest but really? just out of my own like naivety my own I, I had never so let me explain this story properly. I went and I don't know if you've heard like a J1 where you, yeah, you know, yeah. Irish people can go over to, to the States for mm-hmm. a summer while they're in college. And I went to Boston. Nice. And I spent an amazing time there. And we decided, let's go 
you know, to New York for the weekend. Um, so we got the bus from uh, Boston to New York. And I it was at 19 at the time. I had never experienced like 40 degree heat before. Oh, no. And <laughs> first of all, I was just like, what the hell is going on? Like, how is it? How is inside now outside? You know, <laughs> and why is inside so damn hot? Like, But a genuine, I was thinking like in my mind, I was like, where do I go to escape this? Yeah. You know, I was like, do I just go stand in the shower? Uh, what? The library is the answer. The <laughs> library always has the air conditioner on so cold that I yeah. bring sweaters even when it's summer to go to the library. Okay, well, it would have been good advice. <laughs> we were also 19 and of course we wanted to consume as much alcohol as possible. So yeah, which you're not technically supposed to do over no. there at 19. Well, there's another story. I was, I'll tell you that <laughs> another moment. But, um, anyway, I got on to... Initially, we had to go find our hostel, first of all. And... Again, first time, I think I probably had been on the underground in London, but it's a different beast, the subway. Yeah. Um, so I went down there and there was a pregnant woman. So like, I was like, of course, like you go ahead, like get on the train first. Yeah. And she was taking ages to get on the train. And my all, all my friends were already on the train. And I was like, cool. And I was so like stupid and naive and like from Dublin, where <laughs> I don't know if you noticed, but in the dart, the guy looks out the or the lady looks out the window to make sure everybody's on the train before they yeah. like drive off. Yeah. Not obviously not in New York. No. Of course not. I was so stupid. And <laughs> um, so I was like, okay, cool, just getting on the train. And then the door starts closing as yeah. I get out. And so it's closing on my head. Yep. And I was like, what the hell is happening here? Like, look, absolute shock on my face. But then everybody on the train just turned around and like looking at me, like not with concern, but like, <laughs> like a look of you're an idiot. And I was like, I was just trying to do something nice. Yeah. You know, a stupid so pregnant long. person took so long to get on the fucking train. <laughs> Did she make it on the train? She got on the train fine and she didn't even say thank you. And no, I was of like, not. fuck this place. <laughs> um, <laughs> oh my God. Uh, but then I had, a, I had a good time, but then went back uh, years later and just did it much better yeah uh, and uh, like we also tried to do so much in such a short period of time yeah which i really am not a fan of when i'm traveling yeah because i hate being in a place thinking i have to be at the next place at this time. yeah i can't stand that new york's hard for that because there's so much that you want to there's so much you want to do but you just gotta like say i'm just doing this so the next time i went uh, i think it was like march to a much better temperature yeah and I with a friend we just got bikes and cycled nice. around Central Park That's and awesome. like you can see obviously so much yeah. from just cycling around that and we had food and we had drinks and it was went to a gig or something I can't remember exactly and it was amazing time I yeah. was like oh, I love this place and so it was just it was I was too young I didn't yeah. know I had to experience that it's you know it's funny though because growing up in New York City we also have those experiences we might have them slightly younger but I definitely have had the subway doors close on me I and you know what's terrible is in New York you can push them back open yeah yeah which like I guess I don't know if people know to do that like you know when you when you've had them closed on you yeah I just didn't know what else to do well what I learned (laughs) on a school field trip to Washington DC that the DC trains the doors do not open back up if you push them open and those doors closed on me like painfully so what happened so I just got like a mark on my arm no way it was pretty bad oh wow yeah I mean I was fine but um that's the funny thing too is like growing up in New York City I'm sure it's easy to get like a little jaded like I know how other cities work and you don't is really the answer like there's some things that it prepares you for but there's plenty of things when I moved to Dublin that I was super clueless to I mean 
we it's funny like i've started thanking the bus drivers in new york city and it's weird there people are like are you being sarcastic like why are you, <laughs> yeah. what do you what what i do yeah. i'm like no i'm just i'm just used to it from dublin now yeah, yeah, yeah. it must be such a weird like it's so much it, it it's like a village yeah and it's like a, the smallest countryside village compared to new york yeah it's it's always funny to me when people say like here or in other parts of ireland like oh dublin's too big i'm like Dublin's feels really small. I mean, that's part of why I love it, actually, is is the size and the community. And I, I've said to people in some ways, like, it kind of feels like living on a college campus to me because I, well, one, went to a very large college, but also run into people I know all the time. Literally today, I took the bus into town and texted my friend, are you on the bus right now? And he was like, yeah, are you? And I was like, yeah, I just saw you. No way. <laughs> but, like, that has never in my life happened in New York City. And I live in the same neighborhood as the people I know in New York City, and we've never been on the bus or at least never seen each other on the bus at the same time. Yeah, of course. It's just, it's just way too big. Yeah. What are some of the things that you've had to adjust to? Back in New York or being in Dublin? Being in Dublin. Being in Dublin. Ooh, I think definitely, and this is going to sound very New York spoiled, um, but not having 24-hour transportation is... Mm. Now, that's not Dublin. That's pretty much anywhere that you have to adjust to that. Well, public transport system here is particularly bad. It's definitely... It might be my least favorite thing about Dublin mm. in general, which is more to say that there's so much that I love about yeah. Dublin. But yeah, the and don't get me wrong, I will complain about New York City's MTA every single day that I'm there. Um, but because I don't drive, um, there is something kind of claustrophobic to me when I'm in a place where I can't get places on my own. Yeah. So it's kind of the opposite of what you'd think. Like a big city does not make me feel claustrophobic at all, but like the countryside kind of does. Yeah. Because I feel like I'm trapped if yeah. I am on my own there. Um, so I feel like there, that element um, of like how Dublin, if you have a car, you can get anywhere in like 20 minutes, but... You know, I took the bus the other day for like an hour and a half to get somewhere kind of farther in town. So it's that's one thing. But you guys also have better buses than we do. Like we would never have Wi-Fi and charging ports. So <laughs> you just have to plan accordingly. <laughs> yes, like uh, that's all we got, though. Man, <laughs> it's it's embarrassing. And even I, I had to cross the city today to get here earlier on and I came at a bad time. Mm -hmm. It just took so long, so long. Yeah. Um, and it's one of the reasons why we've decided to to move uh, somewhere else. But yeah. it's, yeah, I mean, I'm not going to get into it too much, but the transport system here is, it has improved, ironically, mm -hmm. quite a lot. Um, but it's still just quite crap. Yeah. Quite crap. But look, listen, also, I, I feel Dublin, it's, it's, it's got so many growing pains that mm. it's just, it, it's grown way too Crazy quickly. fast, yeah. Um, in, in a good way, I guess, economically, but mm. infrastructure-wise, it just hasn't caught up. Yeah. And it won't catch up. I remember studying in school, and I'm out of school quite a while now, mm. um, like going on, what am I? Yeah, it's almost 15 years. And I remember studying in school about a, like a metro from the Dublin city centre to the airport, which yeah. sounds like a fantastic idea, right? Amazing. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and it just still hasn't happened. Yeah. You know, and they're still talking about it. So anytime anyone announces anything about a new public transport or a new train, or like, yeah, whatever, I'll probably made it like in 200 years time. Right. Um, it's a disaster. Um, 
What about understanding people? Yeah, that, that's something I think about a lot, actually. <laughs> I because I really love language. That's kind of my other. It's I I feel like it's tied into travel, so it's kind of like、mm. in that category. But I love language.、Um, And I was raised by two language teachers. So, well,、oh, wow. two language students. My mom was a teacher,、um, but they met in a Russian language program. Like,、wow. no one in my family is Russian. I have no idea why they both chose it. I think they thought it would be hard,、mm. and it was. I'm sure it was. And、okay. they met that way.、Um, so, anyway, I grew up with different languages being spoken. My grandmother lives in France, so like. French is、um, around as well,、uh, but one thing that I find so fun about being here is that obviously we're speaking the same language for the most part,、um, but there are so many <laughs> tiny. I love that for、changes. the most part. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, I I have been saying for years that I would love to learn Irish, and I、oh, okay. haven't yet,、yeah. but.、Um, I no, I, I would absolutely love to, and I actually need to get on that because I am so intrigued by the ways that Irish language has shaped Irish English.、Mm. Because there's、yeah. so many things that I talk to my friends about all the time.、Um, but yeah, there's definitely misunderstandings that happen that I find really funny.、Um, like one of my favorites is、um, the letter H, H, H. Like、okay. you wouldn't think that comes up very often. But it did. I was working once at a music venue, and I was saying the seat numbers, like you know H one. But I said H, and the person I was talking to was just like, "What are you saying?" Like,、wow. just couldn't understand. And they might have been messing with me. I'm not quite sure.、Um, <laughs> but I was like, didn't think that would come up.、Yeah. Uh, another one though was、um, this happened several times where we would say restroom, like yeah. Going, where's the restroom? And you say toilet. Yeah. And for some reason, toilet feels very vulgar to me. Like it's not.、Um, but in the U.S., you wouldn't really say that.、Mm. And I've had many times where I've said restroom here or toilet there, and I get weird reactions from people. And usually, people just going what? Because it's not.、Mm. They know what I'm saying, but it's not what they expect to hear. Yeah. So there's a little disconnect, I think,、yeah. for a moment of the what? Oh, yeah. yeah. I don't know. There's the.、Um... This letter or is a big thing as well, right? Oh yeah. The way I say or. Yeah. I remember when I was over there for my brief time. So I worked.、Uh, I'm nobody's gonna get in trouble for it now at this <laughs> point. But I actually, the story was I got a job in a bar、oh, nice. in Boston,、nice. uh, a great bar. I don't know if it's still open. Who knows? It was called the Field. It was in Cambridge,、mm-hmm. uh, close enough to Harvard actually. So it was great, right? And my job was just like. Between washing the dishes or collecting glasses,、mm-hmm. and long story short, through I think it was an Independence Day barbecue, Fourth of July barbecue, and I managed to absolutely mangle my arm、uh, trying to play、uh, rugby drunk on the streets.、Oh, no. Right. So I came into work the next day, and like my two fingers were in a splint. That was fair enough. <laughs> my whole arm here was like an open wound. Oh my god! And the guy just looked at me. He goes, "You can't、yeah. touch anything. No. <laughs> If any customer sees you touching anything,、yeah. we'll be taken to court." Yeah. And I was like,、oh, "Okay, <laughs> fuck! Did I lose my job?" And he kind of gave me the job half through a favor to somebody else.、Mm-hmm. So he's like, "Just." Check people's IDs, will you? And I was like, okay, I'm only nineteen, <laughs> but、uh, cool. So it was the single best job I've ever had in my life because I just literally sat there. I guess 
in in Ireland because I had worked in an off license here where they sell alcohol checking mm. you know and people get real offended when you ask them for ID really? here in Ireland but in the states it was like no no you have to have ID to yeah. drink, consume alcohol so I just like every single I don't care if you're like 70 years old I'm checking your ID yeah and so everyone was fine about it and they were like oh chatting to me but nobody got my name because I'd say, ah, oh, my name. And they're like, oh, cool, you're actually from Ireland. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, what's your name? It's like, Mark. He's like, oh, Mike, nice to meet you. I was like, my name's not Mike. Um, so close. But, um. Well, they just, so I was like, I can't even do it. It's like, Mark, 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 Mark. Yeah. Flatten it out, I guess. Yeah. Mark. I would say Mark. Yeah. Um, I actually learned recently that I've been pronouncing, like, my own family members' names wrong. And no one told me, oh, which no. is upsetting because I would like to pronounce people's names right. But I have my dad's cousin's name is Siobhan, and I would say yeah. Siobhan. But I've been told it's Siobhan. But that uh, sounds like I'm putting on an accent. Real picky. Yeah. she To, to her credit, she's not the one who corrected me. Okay. It was someone else. But uh, Or, like, I have a friend, Florence who actually, we work together a lot. She directs music videos for me. But I was calling her Florence for a really long time. And she was like, no, it's, it's Florence. But also, again, she wasn't the one who corrected me. It's always someone else who's like, you're saying that person's name wrong. Mm. But it's, yeah, it's vowels that we just yeah. pronounce differently. But So what, what's the, the, the your family tree kind of looking like then? Because you have a grandmother who's yeah. living in France. Yes. And then I think on your mother's side it's, so it's connection to Ireland it's actually the same grandmother is the one who's from Ireland but lives in France oh, okay. <laughs> so she's definitely the travel bug is very much within my family I'm yeah. not the only one who yeah. who has that um, but yeah so she was born in Dublin and she has a few siblings but uh, she had an identical twin so her identical twins kids are the ones that obviously like you know twin things she uh is, I don't want to say closest to, but um, they're the ones that I know the best. Mm. Um, but yeah, lots of cousins, big, big family. Mm. Um, so yeah, so my dad, his first cousins were over here. So it's kind of, you know, my second cousins, their kids. Okay. Um, yeah. I was trying to think, is the name Hawkins, is that an Irish name? I don't know. Because uh, it's not... I've never heard it before. I don't think it is, but then you have a Hawkins Street here. Yeah, and there's also similar-ish, but not also names like Larkin. You know, there'll be yeah, other kind of similar that kind enough, of yeah. kin. So it makes me think that there must be something there. Yeah, um, I don't know actually, because the hawk, because it's my grandmother, so it's not her last name. But uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I'll have to look it up because it's the weird thing with being American is that you know. You pro you likely have some Irish somewhere yeah. back if you go far enough back. So especially East Coast. Yeah, exactly. So it's very possible that I have a lot more less direct Irish in my blood as well. Like I'm pretty sure that my mom's side of the family is also Irish. Like her mom's maiden name was O'Connor. So it's uh, yeah. it's not not Irish, but yeah. we don't know the exact details. Yeah. yeah, for sure. When did the music? Thing get a little bit more serious mm. and when did you first think that okay I'm going to I'm going to go for this such a good question I think I had a lot of like healthy delusion as a child that I was so convinced that it was always real like it was always the path mm -hmm. um but I think where it went from delusion to actual just pursuing music was around the time I started gigging which was in high school so when I was about wow. 16 or so um I kind of as soon as I could 
you know, play enough guitar to stumble through a full song. I was like, open mic nights, let's go. Wow. And, uh, you know, in, in New York, I wonder if this has changed. I feel like it hasn't, but it's very hard to find places you can play if you're not 21, which yeah. is really unfortunate. Um, cause not only, you know, it's hard enough when you're trying to get to 18, like 21 is a long time yeah, to wait if you're time. 16 and want to play gigs so we found an open mic night that was at a burger joint and i had a very supportive mom who would take me and you know wait because you know open mics can last for so many hours Mm. um and we'd go and i would be the only person whose mom had accompanied her (laughs) um but it was it was really really important um just stage practice because i had no i had never really performed solo i'd been in you know choirs and plays at school and stuff but it was those open mics that I really feel like I learned how to you know do stage banter which is a thing that you cannot practice I mean you can but I don't know I think that's one of those things where you got to do your 10,000 hours on an actual stage yeah yeah that's a different do you just completely improvise that I try to but i've learned that like a little bit of planning is probably a good call yeah i have a few things that i need to remember to say so like if i'm playing with a band i have to remember to introduce the band members or like Mm. i do this thing where i have a little email list booklet but i call it my yearbook so that i can encourage people to write in it even if they don't want to give me their email address (laughs) (laughs) and i just pass it around the room and you know people write me little notes or or sometimes give me their contact information um And so I have to remember in the banter when to introduce that and what to say so that people understand what is this little book that she's handed to me. Um, So there's things like that. And then there's certain songs that have certain stories that I like to tell around them. Yeah. Um, But I really, I don't like the idea of having a script on stage. You know, I don't want, I don't want to ever have my audience feel like I do the same exact thing every night. Um, And I think this tour coming up will be very interesting for that because it is a new show, a new audience every night. So I could probably get away with scripted banter, but I I won't do that. (laughs) Yeah. How are you feeling about it? I'm feeling good. I think today's a weird day because tomorrow is the first day of yeah. the tour. So. Sorry for taking you. Like I'm sure you would have been practicing or going through things otherwise. No, but. no. It's honestly, it's lovely. It, it's it's a nice thing to be able to just kind of chat about what's going on instead mm-hmm. of just like going crazy in my head a little bit. Um, yeah, the weird thing about this tour and you know booking it all myself, like I had wonderful, wonderful friends and family that have been so supportive and have really helped in terms of you know finding accommodation like people that we're staying with or people that are helping drive us around like i don't want to ever give the impression that i like did it all alone um but there was a lot of like i had to find where i wanted to play and what venues would have me and uh you know support acts and everything so basically spent the entire summer booking this tour um and it's a very weird thing to go from months of every day like okay, here's the to-do list. What do we do next to get this going? And now it's here. That's a very weird shift of, I'm really trying to force myself to just breathe and go, it's done. Like there's nothing more, you know, because it feels like, oh, I should. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. 
Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Be doing something else. They should be booking something else, sending some email, doing something. But it's really, it's weird, but it's just time to just play the shows. So how many dates are you are you going to be playing? It's six shows. Six so shows. Yeah, five here in Ireland and then one over in London. Wow, very mm-hmm. cool. Yeah. So you're playing Dublin, you're playing Whelan's, which is an epic location yeah. or an epic um, venue. I'm super excited. It's definitely like a dream come true. Um, Amazing. So Whelan's in Dublin, then we're headed over to Westport and Lewisburg Great. in Mayo, and then we're in Galway on Sunday, and then Kilkenny, and then London. All in the space of a few days. Yeah, it's going to be intense. Wow. <laughs> so there's a bit of nerves around that, but it's kind of just, you know, I... I'm kind of trusting the process now. Like like I said, it's been so long, the planning of this, and now we get to just do it. Hmm. And like, how many people are involved in, like, are you going, I know that you've got, for example, you've got Breed who's supporting mm-hmm. in, in Whelan's. Um, is is Breed following you or do you have other support acts or how does this work? Yeah, so it's very, it's kind of like a puzzle and every piece is independent and it's hopefully all working together. So we have two lovely support acts tomorrow night. We have Breed Lions and Leah Moran who are our two openers and I'm so excited about them both. Brilliant. And then uh, in Westport, we have two openers as well, two local people, um, Ian and Zoe. And then the rest of the shows we don't have openers for. It's going to be just kind of, I think every single show is going to be a very different vibe, which is mm. very exciting. Um, I've been really looking forward to cautiously. Um, our Saturday show is following the Ireland uh, Rugby World Cup. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so that'll be interesting. Yeah. I am actually truly so excited. But yeah, it'll be interesting for sure. Yeah, everybody in a very good mood. Potentially. I hope good mood. I really have never rooted for Ireland and yeah. rugby more than <laughs> this Saturday. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, whatever happens, you know, it's going to be it's going to be an adventure if nothing else. Um, so yeah, but I am traveling with my guitar player on this. So he actually arrives. He's flying in like right now. <laughs> Oh, wow. And then, yeah, he gets in tonight and then he's coming on the tour. And uh, my friend Florence, who I mentioned, <clears throat> she's coming along as videographer for some of the shows. Uh, one of my other friends is doing photography tomorrow night. So it's it's definitely kind of little pieces that are all working together as opposed to like one cohesive thing. But I kind of I feel like that's kind of accurate to my personality. Mm. So I think it'll work. It's a bit of a multitasking. Of course it will. Kind it's of gotta thing. be brilliant. You should just make an effort to, to really enjoy it. And yeah, as you said yourself, you've done the work. Now it's just time to actually deliver it and totally. to, to take it all in and enjoy it. And as you said, probably each show is going to be so different that that goes back to why, not that you should fully improvise, but you know, not having a script. Yeah. Because what you could say in Whelan's just might totally bomb in Westport. You, yeah, like, you just never don't know. know. You have to kind of feel the, the vibe of the crowd as well. And totally. Like tomorrow night is, is a Thursday night and then West, as you say, on Saturday night, it could be it could be hopping. So yeah. it could be a very different vibe. We'll see. And that's the thing also is that, you know, I like with travel, with music, I 
it's all about connecting with people for me. Like it, it sounds so cliche, but it really, it really is. Um, so I don't want to just be like a person on a stage. I want to be, you know, Claire talking to the audience and feeding off of them and playing the songs that they want to hear also. So I'm tailoring the set lists a little bit. Like we're probably going to be playing some more of the quieter songs in Whelan's than we will be in Lewisburg on Saturday. So, you know, it's, I really want to give people what they want to hear and also pay attention if they're, if they're telling me whether that's with words or, you know, body language or whatever kind of, yeah, feed off of what's there. Cause mm. that's, I think that's what makes a good show, you know, mm. playing to the audience that you have. Mm. What is the, I'm always really curious to ask uh, artists this, but cause it's different for everybody, but what is the uh, initial stages of a song for you or the mm. birthing process of it? Is it, is it a lyric? Is it, how, how does it work for you? Yeah, I think it's usually a lyric. It can change a bit, but I um I keep like in my notes app, I keep a running list of I wouldn't even call them ideas, but sometimes it's a lyric, but often it'll just be like, you know, I'll write like a date down or just any anything like the name of a book or so- something that for whatever reason my mind has said, write this down. Um, and a lot of it, nothing happens with. But the nice thing then is that when I'm then feeling kind of in the mood to write you know it often happens like if i go to a concert and i come out of it feeling kind of inspired i have this list that i can go to and you know it's sometimes i'll write one song that uses the last like 15 things that i've written down and sometimes i'll be like no none of this is Mm. the vibe um so it kind of depends in a way but it helps me a lot that i have something to refer to and it, it truly can be anything sometimes i'll have like a verse but often it'll be like two words that sounded kind of cool when i heard someone say them on the street or something mm, wow that's quite cool mm-hmm. and then so how, how do you go about applying music to that like what is the what's what's that step look like? yeah i it's funny i started doing in the last couple of years actually right when i started writing the cp that i'm putting out um i started a songwriting challenge with a friend of mine and it was very much the kind of thing where we were like we need something we need some sort of goal we're we're feeling, feeling a little stale with music stuff um she's obviously also a songwriter and, and a amazing singer um and the first song that we wrote for this challenge is the single that I'm putting out on Friday. Oh, wow. So it's kind of funny. The first song that I wrote for that challenge and for this EP, I didn't know it was for the EP at the time, but ended up being for the EP is now, you know, it's the final single that I'm putting out before I release the full EP. Uh, and the prompt was write a bad song. And the idea was, let's just write something bad, get it out of the way, like just, you know, as they say, like shitty first draft, like, you know, and then we can edit it or you can just move on, take the ego out of it. And so naturally she and I both were like, well, we're just going to like actually write songs. Um, (laughs) But so I wrote a song that's called bad, but I went into it with this mindset of, let me just write something that I would never normally write thinking, well, it was supposed to be bad. You know, it's, it's okay if it doesn't work. And so the first line of that song is I mentioned Lindsay Lohan in it, which is not something as a folk singer that I would ever think would be appropriate in one of my songs um and this one was very much like let me write all these lyrics that i wouldn't normally write you know because it's because it's supposed to be bad and then of course i finished the song and i was like this might not be bad this might just be called bad and that's the name (laughs) of the song um which was like a little bit of a kind of i mean it's a it's a kind of funny song it's not meant to be taken too seriously of course but 
absolutely a song I never would have written without that songwriting prompt. Wow. But it, as you said, it takes the ego out of it mm-hmm. or the, um, the kind of strive for perfectionism or, yeah. the stri- you know, that's a real, that must be, I can't imagine how difficult that is. And I think as any artist to have to deal with um, the attachment of something being good yeah. or or bad and, and being judged on that is not being judged on it. You're judging yourself, Definitely. obviously. Yeah. Um, so you have it's you know I don't maybe that's the case with a lot of people's work maybe everybody's work they're always saying well, what I did was good or what I did was bad but I guess really like someone might take you aside at work and a manager might say listen that wasn't good but you know you're still getting paid at the end of the month yeah. so a person can choose to care about yeah. that how, however they however they want as an artist um and it's something that's come up about this podcast and it's like something I don't know if I'd actually like to have this as my full time thing because mm-hmm. then it's a whole different pressure. Yeah. And that's kind of scary. It is. And I, the way that I always kind of reason with it is for me anyway, it's kind of a question of identity in that. I have identified as a songwriter, as a singer songwriter, since I was a little kid. Mm-hmm. So if, you know, if I write a bad song, which let me be clear, I've written many terrible songs mm-hmm. uh, unintentionally, um, mm-hmm. which everyone, does, you know, it's yeah, if course. you're not writing bad songs, you're not writing enough songs, I yeah. think is the idea. But point being is if I write a bad song, it feels like an attack on my identity because I've chosen to identify as mm-hmm. this this songwriter so if i'm not writing good songs then i must not be good at who i am yeah whereas like during the pandemic i randomly took up painting but i don't care if i'm good at painting because i never claimed to be a painter mm-hmm. and i'm not so if i painted something and it was bad it was like oh well that's a thing that i did that was bad i'm not bad because i didn't decide to be a painter whereas i did decide to be a songwriter so it's it's a weird yeah it's ego it's identity and this weird pressure that is so counterproductive and i so that's what i was going to ask you mm-hmm. does identifying as a songwriter serve you in any way i'm sure it does in a lot of ways probably not in the creative process i think outside of the writing it serves me in a lot yeah. of good ways I, there is a nice thing of you know if something else if work or if you know friendships or whatever is going on and having a bad day there is something nice about being able to say like well at least i have this other thing you know i have songwriting that's the thing um so kind of outwardly and and when i look at you know zoom out bigger picture like i really like my life and i really like being a singer songwriter you know so there's there's a lot of ways that it does serve me but i think when it comes down to like sitting with my guitar writing a song thinking i am songwriter hear me roar is not exactly helping me write better songs yeah if i was to ask you then because you know i'm trying to juggle this question in my head sometimes as well like because it's only recently become clear that in the last few weeks that i've uh, been judging myself far too much on mm-hmm. on work and things that I do through yeah. that, in that sense in a professional way and I thought and I've now come to realize or I should have realized this a long long time ago uh, but that's not so healthy yeah and I'm trying to think okay so if you're not 
valuing yourself or not that you don't value you're not judging yourself off that mm -hmm. you're not measuring yourself against that then what are you measuring yourself against you know it's like okay maybe should I be like how good am I with my family or with my friends mm -hmm. and those relationships and do I measure myself off that and yeah. it's an interesting one um, if you're not measuring yourself off as a songwriter what would you measure yourself as? That's a, it's such an interesting thing because I think there is this question of like, what is actually quantifiable? Mm. Because, you know, when you think of, well, I, if you're judging yourself on how you are as a friend or as a, for me, like as a daughter, as a sister, whatever it is, those things aren't quantified. Like you can't get a grade on it. You know, yeah. you're not like a B plus sister or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, so it, you kind of have to trust yourself, you know? Yeah. I, I am able to say, well, I am a good sister. I am a good daughter. I, I feel confident in my, you know, roles in those ways. And so then I sort of have to kind of apply that mindset to music as well. Because with music, there are more external kind of validation or, you know, accomplishments. There's a lot of numbers, which I try to stay away from, but it's literally impossible because everything has, you know, whether it's a follower count or views or streams, whatever it is. I think that it's usually the things that you can't quantify that should define us. Um, but at the same time, music is something that we shouldn't be able to quantify. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's a true art form, really. Yeah. Do you look at Irish people sometimes and think that we're incredibly insecure? <laughs> <laughs> such a such a change of subject in a way. Um, <laughs> well, we'll loop back to it. In a yeah. Second. No, it's it's funny because no is the answer. But my Irish friends have said things on that topic, mm. um, and actually, it's something that we've talked about quite a bit in terms of how the Irish language plays a role in you know how. Irish English has developed um, and I, I distance ourselves from everything yeah and I shouldn't try to explain it because I can't but my understanding and you can correct me um, like I was told that the Irish language doesn't have a direct way to say yes or no mm. which is so fascinating to me yeah. so that there's a lot of in English I will yeah or I won't know like do you want a cup of tea no one's ever gonna say yes please it's yeah. like oh yeah sure I will or something yeah. you know um and so I was talking about this with my friends and it's funny because I don't know how much they think about it outside of talking to someone who isn't Irish. Um, but I, living here, certainly think about it a lot because I just find it really fascinating. Um, but another thing in relation to that is that I've been told by my Irish friends that um, there's sort of a different attitude taken to um, talking about yourself here than in the US. Like in America, it's very much normal to an extent but it's pretty normal to brag about your accomplishments to kind of say if someone's like well you know if my american friends or family are like what are you up to these days i might be like well i'm going on tour well i was on a podcast or whatever um and i think my understanding is that here you wouldn't really do that you'd kind of downplay oh, i'm not really up to so much uh, i'm just doing a bit of music i'm just you know yeah, it's it's a weird thing. Mm -hmm. It really is. We're awful at it. I'm particularly, I, well, I think every Irish person is. I'd say, let's just imagine I won the fucking World Cup yesterday, <laughs> but nobody was watching, you know, yeah. or nobody knew about it. And if somebody asked me, oh, like, how are you? Any Anything big happening? I was like, yeah. no, not really. You know, That's... it's weird. <laughs> but he's, and talking to musicians on this show before, mm -hmm. 
and they they really struggle to it even though they make up their professional musicians yeah. but they struggle they would never outwardly say i'm a musician yeah oh. it's it's a weird thing because in in ireland it's like oh you're a musician no you look at you fucking bono walking down the road it's there it's the like, notions thing right it's the notions yeah. exactly it's it's the tall poppy syndrome gone like toxic. Yeah. <laughs> it's like you can't. So there's 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 a beauty to it as well because everyone's one and the same mm-hmm. and nobody's better than anybody else. Right. And you should never talk well about yourself in, in front of everybody anybody else because you know, we're all equal and the same here. But then the toxic side of that is, well actually, you know what, you can and people are afraid to to step out yeah. a little bit and maybe even even afraid to pursue a dream because yeah. it could be that like you know it's not so much a case anymore I think people are the whole world is much more globalised and mm-hmm. you know we might be able to see how oh, like fuck it this, this guy Jay-Z when he, he he really went for it I'm gonna <laughs> yeah. go for it too <laughs> yeah well I hope that that is I think as much as the internet is doing harm it is showing a lot of people what the options are I mean it certainly did that for me like I would never have come up with the concept of travel vlogging I wouldn't have invented that you know I had to see someone else doing it to go I guess I could do that and I think with music too I mean it's something I think about a lot in terms of um, gender representation for sure just that like we need more women and non-binary people in the music industry so more women and non-binary people can see that they can do it too um you know and and it's interesting that that's obviously a more specific maybe issue but i think it i think there is a lot of a lot to be said for representation and i think i mean ireland is such a fantastic country for art it's Mm. amazing when you think about how small this country is how many artists you've had that are you know global icons Mm. it's it's really kind of baffling almost in a way like Mm. the the percentage of yeah of the world that is that knows you know the small island that has such an incredible creative uh exportation that you would think that like there would be more people that understand that the world needs irish artists yeah um or or an aspect of that culture maybe yeah um, or there was a huge i think even so my uh, fiance she's spanish and so i have a good understanding of the spanish culture as well and one thing she always says to me is that it's in ireland you know, not everybody can play an instrument, mm-hmm. but to her, everybody can play an instrument. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yes. Yeah. Because we all more or less, at some point, it comes to the question, what instrument are you going to play? Yeah. And you might play it horrendously bad for two years and give up. <laughs> yeah. But you can still probably play two songs. Whereas it seems that, uh, I'm just taking Spain as an example, because mm-hmm. it's the only one I have any knowledge about. But another European country, for example, like Spain, they don't give that... Yeah. It's not really that important. Um, so I think music, particularly here, is, is a big part of our culture. Mm-hmm. And it's storytelling, right? Yeah, totally. That's what it is. And like, in, you know, from stories being passed down, it's a fantastic way to remember a story is to bloody sing it. Yeah. Um, and I think I was even reading the book recently and some ways that people would remember directions would be to put it into a song. Yeah so that they can remember because we obviously before people could write things down or whatever that was the way someone would remember the way to get to a specific place would be to put it into a song and sing it's like how we all learn the alphabet when we're kids you know it's it's a powerful tool Mm. definitely Mm. It's, it's so interesting too what you were saying about 
music in different cultures because obviously as a traveling musician I think about this so much because uh, I was talking to a friend who is um, Irish she's Malaysian Irish so she grew up here but her she has family in Malaysia as well and we were just talking about you know the ways that music music exists in all societies as far as I'm aware I don't yeah. think one exists without music but it, but music is not the same thing in all of those societies. And so she was talking about, you know, her cousins, I guess, they talk about going to recitals, but they don't talk about going to concerts. It's more of like, and, and I, again, wow. feel I, I am not the person to be, you know, speaking on this. So I might be getting some of this wrong, but she was talking about how music is very much present, but it's less, it, in her experience anyway, less of a hobby and more of a sort of, maybe kind of status related thing. Um, and, you know, in, in the US, I feel wow. like we have some of that as well, but also we definitely have it as a hobby. And it, I don't know, it's there's just so many different roles that music can play, whether it's for communication, whether it's for storytelling, whether it's for, you know, nightlife, whatever, mm. or whatever combination of those things. It's something that I really have been paying attention to more and more as I travel because, you know, I only get little tastes as I'm moving around. But yeah. it's, I don't know, it's something that, and the way that it plays with language as well, what languages people are singing in. It's, yes, absolutely. It's really fascinating. Yeah. I'm thinking now, like, just off the top of my head and, you know, being younger and we were at, at dinner time or at, on a Sunday, for example, after dinner, you'd be asked to you know jokingly very like not seriously perform mm -hmm. something yeah so you know you could try and think of what you're going to do or if you wanted to say a poem or if you wanted to make yeah. up a song or do a dance or something <laughs> and like you could literally just like make up the dance there and then or whatever it doesn't yeah. everyone laugh it'd be fine um it wasn't like a test or anything yeah, it wasn't yeah. like you must perform on a sunday <laughs> and i was like oh shit no um <laughs> but it so it's part of um the family it's part of a community experience yeah. it's not necessarily ironically going back to what we were saying before you're not being judged on it yeah it's you know if you go to Irish weddings for example nearly everybody will sing a song yeah no one goes oh jeez you hear your man's fucking voice it's fucking <laughs> shite Jesus. I've never yeah I've never hold a that. tune at all it doesn't matter <laughs> it's about uh, look here's John fair play to him singing a song yeah you know with all the words that's great and it's that kind of we're all together I, I, I just community keeps going to mind it's not community but it's like a, like a bonding yeah. it's a bonding experience it seems to me like music in Ireland is really about inclusion in a really mm. interesting way and again not everywhere that is not true everywhere that I've gone and that's not to say better or worse I mean obviously I'm a bit partial to the Irish music scene but you know what here you'll go to a pub and if there's someone playing music quietly i mean the number of times i've heard the entire bar shush people to listen to the music never in my life has that ever happened in new york yeah not because we don't appreciate music it just plays a different role the, yeah if you're playing in a bar in new york your goal is to be louder than the people in the bar that's just how it works yeah. you have to do that um and it's really incredible here that the role of the people at the bar is to not be louder than the musician playing. Yeah, it's kind of a mark of respect. Mm -hmm. Like they were, they were given a lot of respect. And I think that's probably why maybe some people struggle with the idea of being a musician. It's mm -hmm. like, if you say you're a musician, you, you're technically one of the people who's very respected in a society. Yeah, like, that's so interesting. Very talented. And yeah, um, yeah I, 
there's, but then I also look at a place like America again I've, I've never really lived there um, and you know they're elite there's people like if you really want to make it at anything in the English speaking world at mm. least it's like um, America's the goal right it's yeah which is so interesting to me mm. for a lot of reasons like I don't know there's part of me that feels kind of sad that that is the case um but I also want to take an optimistic view. Like, I don't know. It's it's interesting and complicated, uh, the role that America has in sort of like the global entertainment scene. But then I look at things like K-pop, which is just absolutely, you know, taken over the entire world. Mm. Um, but I think you're right. I think there was an element of like K-pop kind of had to take over America before. I shouldn't say before. It's not like... It wasn't in other parts of the world as well. But yeah, there is something, there's kind of like a, a gate in a way. It's just such a big market. Yeah. Um, like, I mean, I was talking to someone about this before before we started the podcast, actually. And so I know some people who live, like uh, some Brazilians who live from doing their podcasts here oh, in Dublin. Cool. Um, but their market is Brazil, obviously. Oh, yeah. Uh, which is a huge market. Yeah. A huge market. I, I think it's like 250 million people there or something like that. So yeah. in around, uh, yeah. it could be way, could be way off, but it's more <laughs> or less that. Um, so that's a huge market that they can, they could have 0.00001% of that and right. they could make a living from it. Yeah. Um, in Ireland, that is not a possibility with something like a podcast. Yeah. Even talking to the CEO of Galway Bay Brewery, yeah. uh, who was in here a while ago, and he said, Ireland is, I think it's the market of Ireland is the size of Manchester, one city. And he said, I'd much prefer to have a, you know, transport beer around one city of Manchester than have to like go from Malin Head in Donegal, yeah. you know, all the way to Cork and transporting beer all around the country. It's a yeah. nightmare because people are so apart from Dublin yeah. dispersed around the place and I guess it's the same for like any kind of entertainment or art as well to to be able to reach a market of oh, what's the 350 million people more or less in the States I should know that shouldn't I I have no idea yeah, whatever. We're, we're throwing out numbers of all just shapes and sizes making them here. Up, yeah. Yeah, just making the whole shit up um, but you know I imagine it's pretty fucking big there's anyway. a lot of people for sure yeah and, but if you can have a small percentage of that market yeah. and interestingly I know when I do any like particularly Irish topics on this podcast it does very well in, in the US yeah um, podcast platforms yeah and I, I now know understand why people like Blind Boy like who has his podcast he very frequently because he knows if I want to expand and really grow this yeah. podcast I have to get Irish Americans involved or I have yeah. to get America in this because it has to, to to live from something like this. It has to grow beyond here. Yeah, which is, you know, the way that you just put it, it kind of clicked for me in a way because it's not, I don't know. I think that the thing that makes me uncomfortable is this idea of better and worse. I really don't like that. Not that you said that at all, but I always fear that there's a tiptoeing around that kind of language of this idea that like, bigger is better or America or West or whatever is better. That is what I always try to like steer clear of. But mm. as you're saying, it's not about that. It's, I mean, it's quite literally numbers and it's money to be, you of know, course, yeah. to be vulgar. Yeah, of <laughs> but course. No, it's, it's a really, I think I often forget how small Ireland is because it feels so important. Um, not just mm. to me personally, but 
I think to the world. Mm. And I, I guess I was saying that a little before, like there is an almost, I think fair to say disproportionate in a very cool way, amount of impact that Ireland has had on the world, despite it being, like you said, a very small market. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's a really interesting thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it comes from the fact, I'm having spoken to people about it before, I think it comes from the fact that people look outwards here. Mm, yeah. Um, and I probably guess that would be the same for most island countries. Sure. I'm sure if you ask people in New Zealand, maybe they say the same thing yeah. or other island countries around the world where you know it's there seems to be a lot happening outside things are changing now mm. Dublin is Ireland is starting to like get a little bit of confidence slowly but sure yeah no I, I see that kind of already just in the last couple of years of coming and going a little bit that I, I do feel like well I have to say I, I love seeing you know the diversity in Dublin it really makes me so happy me too. It's, yeah it's just such a cool I don't know. I, I just really think everyone's all the better for it, you know? A hundred percent. Couldn't agree more. And for the most part, I feel like, you know, I go to these, whether it's an open mic or a songwriter session or whatever it is, because there's so much of that here in Dublin. It's every time I go, it's like there's a huge Irish percentage of the audience. And then there's people from every corner of the world. And it's kind of this incredible thing of how I always want to be like, how did you find Ireland? And I don't want to, you know, I, I'm never going to ask people like how you got here because it's none of my business. But I, oh, you totally should. I think the whole podcast is about that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess I, that's the thing is like there's the time and the place, you know, yeah, I don't yeah. want to go up to someone and like <laughs> other them or anything. But I love to talk about it's why I love this podcast. You know, I want to talk about like how people end up where they do. And I think so often the story is kind of random. I think a lot of the time people don't have an answer, even with a place like Ireland, where there's obviously a lot of wonderful reasons to move here. And I I find that fun. Yeah. I remember working on a job years ago, maybe 12 years ago. And I was like, I was doing a phone interview, ironically, and the girl was um, Chinese. Mm -hmm. And I was like, she's like, I've always wanted to move to Ireland. I was like, oh, really? I was like, okay. Like, why? You know, (laughs) like of all of the places in the world, Yeah. you know, you could have gone anywhere. Yeah. Why? And she's like, ah. she goes, have you seen the film Braveheart? And I was like, yeah. She goes, I love Braveheart. And I was like, you know, that wasn't like, like about like William Wallace. He was Scottish. She's like, yeah, but filmed in Ireland. And I was like, yeah, that's true. And she's like, I want to go live in Ireland. She did her like, research. I love yeah. That. I was like, wow, that's a big move of one movie. Congratulations, you know, Mel Gibson. That's, that's like <laughs> me with seeing Once on Broadway. It wasn't even the movie, you know, it was... American actors singing Irish songs in America that made me at 16 or 17 go, I should probably move to Ireland. (laughs) So it's whatever it is that plants that seed. It's it's always fascinating to me. And, and, you know, like I said, it, it can be quite random, but. I know, not without sounding hopefully too kind of like a hippie. It's that's mm-hmm. kind of life. Like the the big significant decisions that we make can often be just like, yeah, I just saw this movie one time and I thought, why not? Uh, was it really like that? Was it like almost just there was no logic to it? Really, it was kind of instinctive. Yeah, I don't, I don't think I knew at the time, but then I the the thing that I love about the or loved it's not on Broadway anymore this was a while back but they would start the show and they would have their during their interval they would have um, the actors on stage just playing 
trad, like playing trad songs. Wow. So it wasn't, you know, it wasn't just the soundtrack to the movie. That's like where I heard Raglan Road for the first time. And I was like, oh, oh my God, poetry um, and a bunch of other songs. And so I had heard those and then I was looking them up and then I found the Dubliners and, you know, all, all these other whatever trad playlist is on Spotify. I mean, I didn't know what I was looking at, basically. I was, you know, in high school in America. Um, and it, I just found it really interesting. So I think I was kind of just curious and I didn't really, you know, I didn't think I'm going to write songs like this. And I don't know that I could write a song like that. But the influences were definitely, you know, crawling their way in from from Broadway. Like, it's such a funny thing. And then yeah, the, the way that these things come into your life, like I, I thought I was going to see a musical and I was, but I didn't know I was also following down this path of discovering Irish folk music and, and before yeah. you went to see it I mean did you know it was kind of an Irish I don't know what I knew I think I've never actually seen the music I've seen the, the film mm -hmm. I assume the musical is like it's very similar based in Ireland or yeah yeah yeah, yeah. um I don't know what I knew. I knew I had been told I was going to like it. And it was one of those shows that people kind of say, you know, oh, if you're a singer songwriter, you should go see once. And again, I was like 15 or 16. I don't know exactly how old I was. So I think at that age, especially a lot of like adults love to be like, oh, you're the singer. You'll like the music thing. Like it's very they could say like, oh, my nephew plays trombone you should talk and they'll be like I, I will talk to your nephew I don't know anything about trombone but you know generally there's a lot of like okay sure um so I've been told that I was maybe gonna like it I didn't really know anything about it and then I went I just remember feeling like oh something just changed <laughs> something's different now yeah oh, cool yeah yeah it's really interesting though really nice way to discover it yeah how did the YouTube channel start yeah, that was kind of sort of roundabout as well. Um, it's funny, like you called me a YouTuber. I don't really think of myself as one. Um, I have no problem identifying as one, but it's always been to further the music. Everything that I do is when I get a hobby, I'm kind of like, how can I involve that in music some way? Um, and so when I started traveling, I was watching a lot of travel vlogs just because I was traveling and I wanted tips and I wanted to know, you know, I was looking for budget travel vloggers who would tell me not the luxury five-star hotel, but where's the, you know, 10 euro hostel that I can find. And so I found a few vloggers like that and I got really into their videos and I just, you know, similarly, similarly to going to concerts as a kid and thinking like, what happens at soundcheck? I was kind of like, what camera are they using? Like, what, what are they doing? You know, behind the scenes how are they getting people to watch these videos um and i just there was something in me that wanted to do it and i don't know why i don't know what it wasn't really conscious of like this will get me more listeners to my music i didn't know if it would and it has which is awesome but i didn't know you know i wasn't confident that it was going to work so to speak but i just wanted to do it and i kind of figured that was as good a reason as any yeah. Uh, and then when I was going on the hostel tour, um, so that was back in 2019, I just figured, well, this makes sense. I'm going to be traveling, but I'm also going to be making music. So it's combining it's the two. combination, yeah. And it, you know, it was fun. Like it was just, there were some videos that nobody watched and there were some videos that did kind of well. And interestingly, the ones about Ireland were the ones that did well. Mm. Um, and so I kind of 
went with it and just have still very much am learning as I go. Like I don't feel like an expert by any definition. Um, last year I had a really cool thing happen where I was in Thailand and the Philippines. And I guess like, I don't know if I hit the algorithm well or what happened, but the Thai and Filipino audiences really took to my videos, wow. which is really cool. And I, it got me a lot of followers in Thailand and the Philippines, which are, you know, obviously two amazing countries. So I'm very, I was really excited about it. Um, and speaking of, you know, the different roles that music plays in societies, like I know in both, I think, but particularly in the Philippines, music is everything like it's it's really fascinating to me and i would love to go back because i was only there for about a week in the philippines but i would love to go back with the idea of just like getting to know local musicians because i think they're kind of similar to irish people in that everyone sings really <laughs> as far as i'm aware like everyone no yeah everyone's saying karaoke is huge there and it's like you don't go to karaoke to scream into the mic you perform it okay. is it's so fun um yeah. And so when these people found my videos, I, I've been getting a lot of comments like, oh my gosh, a travel vlogger that uses her own music in the videos, this is great. Yeah. Um, which is a cool thing, because not every country that I go to, it's not always the people from the country that I'm in that are watching my videos. Yeah. You know, like I don't think a lot of Americans are watching videos about America, for instance. Um, and I think with Ireland, I get a mix. I would say it's like 50% Irish people wanting to see an American react to Ireland mm. and 50% people that are trying to move here or yeah. visit. Um, but with Thailand and the Philippines, it was like, I don't know, maybe 90% people that just wanted to see people talk about where they're from. And I think that's really beautiful. I really think cool. Yeah. There was so much pride for their country and that just made me really happy to see. You know what I think it's really good about what you're doing though as well is I see, I think it's just really nice to be able, if, if you're listening to a singer songwriter, if you're listening to someone perform their own songs, I think it's nice to be able to like get to know them a little yeah. bit more, like truly and honestly, it's like yeah. a nice, a nice thing to be able to do that's why when we do the live shows it's like before people perform it's we just ask them a couple of questions mm -hmm. you know how did you get into music how did you end up here yeah because if you just go into a bar and see someone playing it's instantly a disconnect well you don't have to say much yeah before you can connect a little bit yeah um and people can do that with the YouTube channel and like they can listen to your music and they go, oh, you know, what? I want to get to know Claire a little bit more. Yeah. And you've got like loads of content up there that you can go and watch. And I think that helps people relate to the music a little bit more. I hope so. That's definitely the idea. And like I said, with both travel and music, I just want to meet people. You know, I really love hearing people's stories that sound nothing like my own. Don't get me wrong, I love other singer-songwriters' stories as well, but I get so excited when I meet someone who just, their life is just completely new to me. Like, one of my favorite YouTubers to watch right now is this woman who's a figure skater on a cruise ship. And I'm just like, wow. that has nothing to do with my life. Okay, there's a little travel element, so there's that. But I just, I think that's the coolest thing ever because it's so different from what I do. Yeah. So I, I just get really excited when I, you know, whether it's people in my comments section or people at shows or, or shows that I'm going to, anytime I get to meet people that if they're from another country or they're from my country but they do something totally different i just get so i get giddy because it's i don't know it kind of reminds you that there's just like so much out there that we don't know which mm -hmm. sounds so silly but there's just so much more to learn all the time and 
I don't know. I, I definitely feel when I go to a show, if I see a singer-songwriter or, or a band or whatever type of music it is, uh, and they don't talk to the audience, I almost don't care how good the music is. It's disappointing, right? I just feel like it's half a show. Yeah. And not that I want someone to be talking for half the show and only play music half the time, but I don't know. Like, I, I've gone to concerts before where the music was great, but it was so distracting that they didn't talk between songs that it took away from the music, which is so strange. Mm. But I think with live performances, the goal is to connect. And so my idea with the videos is it's giving me the chance to sort of have that live performance connection with people that I'm not, I don't have the option to perform live for them right now, whether it's because they're on the other side of the world or they're just not at the show or whatever it is. Yeah. That's, that's the hope anyway. Yeah. It's, it's incredible. And I wish you you so much luck with this. Thank Um, you so much. Not that you need it, (laughs) but it's going to be a fun, there's a fly buzzing around my face. Uh, It's going to be a fun few days for you. I think so. Kind of jealous in a way. Yeah. It's just going to be, it's been such a long time since I've gone on a wild kind of adventure, but that's what it's going to be for you over the the next few days, I think. I think think so. You don't know what's going to happen. I don't. It's going to be great. Yeah. Um, You have to go and collect a guitarist from the airport now, right? I do, yeah. Yeah. Um, Yeah. But thank you so much for your time. You also have an EP coming out you said on Friday I do so I'm doing a fun thing where just for my Dublin followers um, or I should say Irish followers if you come to my tour you mm-hmm. can get your hands on the EP amazing but for everyone else it doesn't come out until next month so okay. as a little you know I want to give everyone some music so there's a song coming out on Friday uh, it's called Bad as we talked uh, about yeah. uh, that one comes out on Friday everywhere online so everyone can get a little taste um, but if you come to the tour you can get the full EP and then if not you can get it next month amazing okay Claire thank you so much thank you thank you for having me planning for your next trip elevate your travel style with Quince Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full important safety information, visit juviderm.com.